one of the things that men are sometimes not renowned for, and mothers have to look, have to sort of handle this, and then ultimately spouses, uh, is we're not terribly good typically when we're sick. Um, if you are a man and you're fantastic when you're sick, could you fly around the room, please? We'd like to give you a standing ovation. Uh, it doesn't tend to happen like that. I heard of one story of a particular guy who had a really sore back, which we call in Australia a crook back. It was, it, was, it was driving him crazy, and frankly, because of that, he was driving his wife crazy. And so she said, look, will you just get out of bed? Uh, didn't help him out of bed. And do something about it. Go down to the hospital or something. He said, well, I will. So he kind of hobbled over to the car and, and, uh, and, and went down to the hospital. And uh, he got to the hospital and there were two signs coming into the car park. One was exit. The other was entrance. He's not, he wasn't silly. So he took the entrance uh, road in. And, uh, and so then he came to the front door, hobbling over as he did. Um, he, he, he had, it said two signs, inpatience, outpatience. And so he, he, he decided he wasn't going to stay there. So he just went to outpatience. And, uh, and, then, and then he came to two more signs, upper body, lower body. So he thought, oh, it's lower body. So he went through the lower body sign. And then he had two other signs, life-threatening, non-life-threatening. And he went through the, he, he wondered about that, but he went through the non-life-threatening sign and it landed him back out in the car park. So he thought, well, I better go home. He, uh, he went home, got, got in the car, went home to his wife, and uh, he, he, she stirred as he, she, he came in, and, uh, and she, said, she said, well, what happened? Did they help you? He said, no, they didn't help me, but they sure were organized. How many know the church should help some people? Nudge the person next to you and say, let's help some people. It's, it's actually important that we understand that very simple thing. It's not just about doing services. I love that little component as you talked about Jesus the healer last week, that you actually saw some people healed. Jesus heals today. The same Savior that walked the dusty roads of the Middle East 2,000 years ago still is active by His Spirit today and brings healing. Um, I was, uh, I was, Pastor Paul, I had three hours with him before they flew out for Manzini in Swaziland, uh, as, uh, as Pastor Danny said, where the, the brand new campus, brand new community will be launched. And uh, I actually had an hour and a bit on the Skype uh, yesterday with Lou and Zinti. In fact, ye yesterday, when I'm here, I don't just preach uh, on the Sunday, though I, I, I just love the opportunity to connect with you all. Um, but I'm mainly working with the executive team and the campus pastors. And really, it's what my wife and I, Valerie and I do uh, full-time now, all over the world. We're probably sp In fact, I worked it out, we're, we're three, I'm 300 nights outside of my own bed. That's not because my wife kicks me out into the uh, spare room. Uh, I'm actually away 300 nights. Now, fortunately, she's with me most of the time. So we do it together. And, uh, and so, um, but, but, but we work. So I had yesterday, I was on the, on the Skype to, uh, to Swaziland, to St. Pete's down in Florida, and also over to San Francisco with uh, Chad and Emily. They are the three, three of the four. And then I had uh, time with uh, Heath and Emily, who are uh, uh, planting down in Bay Ridge. Uh, all around September, October, the other one. So we've got Swaziland planting next weekend and then around September, October. So you'll go from four communities, five from next weekend to eight communities in the space. I talk to people about what's going on. They go, they're doing what? 
How many of it's good to understand that we've got one life to live? We better use it well for Jesus. And thank God for a church with that kind of faith. And, uh, and, but but as, I, as I talk, Pastor Paul said, look, you know, whatever you, whatever you feel to share. I said, well, what are you talking about right now? And, uh, and he said, well, we're in a series, you know, Jesus. Uh, what did you say? What sort of healer? What was Powerful healer. Yes, he is. I just didn't know what the adjective was. But powerful healer and a bunch of other stuff. I said, what is it this week? And, uh, and he said, a Jesus humble servant. And I'm like, I'm in New York City. I'm going to talk about Jesus the humble servant. Or I could poke my eye out, right? Because the truth is, New York is not renowned for either its humility or its servanthood. Not, not trashing anyone here. It's just the facts. Uh, when, you, when you Google New York, you don't come up with humble servant. You actually come up with a whole lot of other stuff. And uh, it, it's, quite, it's quite amazing that, uh, that, 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 that it's, but, but actually I prayed about it. I said, you know what? Because I've got lots of great messages. You would have loved them. In fact, I might preach one right now. Might you? No. But I really felt, I thought, wow, let's, let's go for this. So uh, I, I missed the busy schedule. I've actually prepared, I've never preached this message before, not even close. And so it might be great. It might be horrible. We'll find out, right? And uh, so I, I really ask, I'm going to ask God right now to help me as we, as we launch into this. Well, here's what I know. New York City is what it is. And, and, and as in anything in life, contrast is a really powerful thing. You know, art is made up of contrast. Enjoyment in life is made up of contrast. Light and shade, day and night, life and death. The Bible talks a lot about contrasts. And as we think about that, uh, you know, I, I did actually Google New York City, words to describe New York City. And they came up with words like busy, shopping, fashion, huge, big apple, America, designer, money, grid, cold, busy, bustling, thriving, rich, energizing, cutting edge, arty, cosmopolitan, strong, impolite, impersonal, imposing, multifaceted, daunting, no humble. And so I thought, what an incredible opportunity that we have got. And so I'm just going to pray right now. And let's ask God as, as I break open a couple of passages of Scripture that let's get the words of Jesus in our hearts. You know, it's so easy for us to have Jesus and His Word on the shelf and to be more influenced by the spirit of the age around us rather than actually taking literally and seriously the words that He says for our benefit and for the benefit of those around us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you take your word today uh, as this is the first time I've communicated this message. And Lord, you would do with it what you desire. Heavenly Father, I pray that every single ear and heart that's listening here today would receive something, mix it with faith, and it would bring transformation, not because of me as your vessel, but because of the power of your word and your desire to lift our lives up. Lord, I commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Like I said, the power of contrast. You know, if I was to show you uh, the, the, next, the next shot, just a, a, a horse 
a horse-drawn buggy, uh, but with a difference. There's a, there's a, it's, it's like, the, 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 if that was just a horse, it's like, that's a contrast. And the next one, you don't expect a horse-drawn buggy to rock up at McDonald's. Um, <coughs> it's, a, it's a contrast. Um, the whole basis, how many have been watching at times late night television and one of those dastardly infomercials comes on? Come on, heads bowed, eyes closed. How, how many have, have even been tempted at times to reach for the credit card when one of those infomercials come, comes on? How many have actually said to themselves, I know this sounds crazy, but I need that. <laughs> have you done that? Have you done that? As seen on TV? It, it's, some of my favorites are, uh, uh, you'll recognize this one, the famous Snuggies. Anyone, did anyone buy some Snuggies? You, you, you'll be thrilled to know if you did, you helped to contribute $400 million turnover from that product that we laughed at. Um, the, the, the next one, and there's lots of these, <clears throat> this is going to help to strip inches off your waist, the George Foreman um, grill. That actually did $200 million. Uh, this, is, this is my favorite. It's an oldie but a goodie. The Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies. I actually sent that back. Not the package, the shorts. I split three of them before I got some that would fit me. That one actually did $200 million. Now, here's the thing that these guys understand. You, you, you actually, because they all like, you, you, you are overweight, you want to be thin, if this will do it for you. Uh, your, your, your carpet is dirty and you want it to be clean, this new whiz-bang turbo supercharged jet-fueled vacuum cleaner for, for uh, $49.99 is going to do it for you. <clears throat> they work on contrast. Now, now, now here, here's what they know. This section, the right part, right hemisphere and the particular part of your brain that actually recognizes and actually communicates about contrast is the very same part of your brain that actually makes choices. So if they can convince you on the contrast, they're right there with convincing you on the decision to buy. Now, now let's back up a little bit. This thing we're talking about today, I, I honestly, not because I'm here, but because I want you to lean in. The power of the potential of really getting this truth of Jesus, the humble servant, in a, in, a, in, a, in a society, in a city that in some ways shuns that ideology, <coughs> excuse me, has the potential to rock people's worlds, has the potential <coughs> for people to go, oh my gosh, who are you? Who are you that you want to bless, serve who are you that you're not in this for yourself? And without, I'm not trashing everyone in New York City, but you know, the prevailing spirit over this city ain't humble and it ain't serving. And so if we grab a hold of this, it's almost like the, the light shines brightest in the darkest dark. The humility and serving shines brightest where they are not evident. And so, and so, I want you to listen up because I really believe the contrast here is absolutely powerful. In 1970, Robert Greenleaf, who actually hailed from Indiana, not New York City, 
Um, he, he, he launched what economics thought was a revol- economic sociology thought was a revolutionary concept. It was the whole notion. He first was the one to pen about servant leadership. And it framed a whole new dimension. Machiavellian, kind of top-down, hierarchical, <coughs> command and control had been the order of the day prior to that. And though it took uh, a decade or more for that thing to start taking root, um, I would say it's now more the standard out there where you've got a notion of collegiate leadership, where you've got a notion that, that, that the, the, the person you are leading becomes the focus of your serving rather than them serving you. Come with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I think we've got that up on the screen. This is, this is about Jesus himself. And of all people that could come and could have demanded that people actually look out for him, <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been Jesus himself. Um, it says here in verse 41, actually the background of this is interesting. Um, the disciples have, been, have come to Jesus and, and have said, um, could, could, we, could you give us a special spot? They're basically saying, we want to be greater than these other guys. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was James and John. That, that approaches, can we have a, a spot on your right hand, on your left hand, Jesus? They're, 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 they're t- they've been walking with him for a while here, and they, they absolutely don't get it. They've got wooden heads. They like just, and, and Jesus was very dismayed, because that's kind of the opposite of what he was talking about. But still, he's gracious. He doesn't slap them upside the head. He says, are you able to drink the cup? That, and they said, we are, we are. And, and as that conversation finished, the rest of the disciples were absolutely ticked off at James and John. Probably because they didn't think of it first, but they, were, but they were absolutely dismayed. So Jesus then goes in to this discourse and says, when, when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. It says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. What he's mapping out there is a command and control where a leader is in it for themselves. And uh, he's he's saying, it's all around, guys. This is not a new thing. And nor is servant leadership, as we'll see. Jesus actually got it before Robert uh, uh, Robert Greenleaf even uh, even actually espoused or even thought of it. He says, "It shall not be among you, so among you. It's not about command and control. It's not about lording it over people." Uh, and then he goes on and says, "It will not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let you shall be your shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be servant or slave of all." And here's here's these powerful words of Jesus. It says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Even, these are heavy words. 
incredible counter, uh, countercultural words of the day. He points that out to us. And so we could be living in New York City or Sydney or London or Paris or any one of the great cities in the world when he says, when he says you know, a lot of leadership is about what's in it for them. And lording it over, he said, listen to me, these words, let, let it ring in your heart. It shall not be so among you. We have a different spirit. We have a different standard. Humility is not, is not actually humiliation. Humility is not saying, I'm a worm. It's got, that, that actually can be reverse pride, in fact. Humility is understanding that he's God and you're not. We know that that doesn't mean that you never get fired up. Being humble doesn't, Jesus got fired up when he, when he drove the money changers out. Jesus got fired up when he, when he, when he saw a spirit of religion. He, would, he called them whitewashed tombs. But it was not about him. This was about building his father's kingdom. So, so lest you misunderstand what humility or serving is all about, serving is not just doing all the menial jobs. If you're a CEO or a, a CFO or a COO or a CQO, I don't know what that is, but anyway, it doesn't mean that you say, look, let me do all the functions that are menial around here. Let me clean the toilets every Monday morning. It doesn't mean that. It's actually a spirit that you as a, a, a Christ follower, you as a leader, see as your focus the elevation of those around you. See as your focus rather than you using your position and the responsibility and authority you've been given for your own agenda, actually understanding that there, it's called transformational leadership. And, and you know, God, God, he said, it shall not be so among you. <clears throat> I was in uh, an Asian nation. I think I've shared this maybe before. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. <clears throat> been working with this group for a long time. They've, they've been uh, followers of, of Muhammad. They've been Islamic. And uh, there's an amazing move of God happening within mosques in this particular nation. Like amazing. Um, in the last 12 months, a, a, a hundred or so uh, imams or sheikhs in this particular country actually bowed the knee to Jesus. And they've not got out of Islam, but they, they're deciding, to, they, they felt called to stay there and to, and to unfold the scriptures from the Quran back into the New and Old Testament to to those that whose eyes have been darkened, and and, uh, and so I remember one time we were in this meeting and in this particular nation, uh, the security was pretty hot. It was not kind of kosher for Westerners to be in a meeting like that. So we had security at the door and so forth. <clears throat> we got to the end of the meeting, and uh, for these guys, they don't feel totally accepted by the church, um, they, uh, nor do they feel totally accepted by. So they're kind of in the middle. And, uh, and so one of the, one of the, the visiting friends uh, said, why don't we do a foot washing? And I went, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I was not all that enthusiastic, to be honest. I'm not a big foot washer, to be honest. And, uh, and, and, and they, they started washing our feet. And we washed their feet. And honestly, the Spirit of God came down. 
You could have heard a pin drop and tears flowed. There was something about that act of humility and serving that linked hearts together. So we're going to have a foot washing today. Could you bring the bowls out? I'm just joking. <clears throat> it's powerful. You know, in, in John chapter 13, we read an amazing story. In verse 12, it says, Do you understand what I've done for you? He said to them, You call me teacher and Lord. That's one of the few times he calls himself Lord. Uh, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. I have set, as if we didn't get it first time, I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He really he throws that missional thing and that apostolic thing. This is not about you and I. This is about building the kingdom of God. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He, he, he actually, he, even unpacking that, he says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. so. So normally what would have happened, in fact, they all missed this. It would be up to those that were servants or those that were followers to wash the feet of their master. That would be convention. They've all been, they've all been ceremonially washed prior to coming to what was leading into the Last Supper. So they'd, they'd all had a bath, if you like. And that was a very ceremonial thing that was a part of a purification ceremony of the Jews. And we understand that, you know, Judaism was very much part of the early fabric of Christianity and so forth. Um, and, and then he says, you should do that. But he says, I've reversed it. I've actually turned this on its ear. I've not only cut across what is spiritual convention. I've not only cut across what is convention in the marketplace. I've cut across every socio-political, positional type convention as I've... Here's what he did. He took his outer garment off. Now, you only... That, that was a sign of great humility. The outer garment actually um, normally had... Uh, was indicative of your standing. And, and it was a mantle. And uh, we know that Jesus' outer garment was, was not of cheap cloth. The, the, the soldiers at the foot of the cross would not have uh, cast lots for his garment, which was a seamless garment, if not. So he takes off his sign of position and status. <clears throat> the only times that people took off their outer garment were to work or to rest. He, he said, I want you to learn how to do your work. I want you to learn how to do your work from a spirit of humility in, a, in an attitude of serving. And I want you to do it not out of a striving that would please me, but out of rest. He takes the garment off. He girds himself with a towel. He puts a towel around his waist. And, and the way that they would have been sitting, they were crouching at a low table and they were eating here and their feet were away from the food. So Jesus was coming around. Maybe some turned around and we don't know. Some have even suggested that the very first feet that he washed, can you guess? Judas. 
as an absolute, explicit and exquisite sign of his grace and love. Now we read in Luke twenty two twenty four, not in the John passage, but just prior to the, to the Last Supper, that once again the disciples, this time they're arguing about who is the greatest. <laughs> so the, the, the precursor to this is the disciples who've been with Jesus nearly three years by this stage. They still don't get it. They're saying, who is the greatest? I'm the greatest. He says, what are you guys talking about again? Like, like are you, like he didn't say this, but are you totally thick? Have you not received anything that I'm saying? So he's got that at the front end. He's got the betrayer in his midst and an example of the most, uh, again, the, the most um, personified example of self selfish living that you can think of where Judas was prepared to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. So tucked in the middle of this, Jesus, I think, is, is going, I don't know whether he preconceived it or whatever. What the heck do I do now? I've got my disciples arguing over who's the greatest. I've got my, the betrayer in the middle, and I know he's going to betray me for 30 pieces of silver very quickly. Now, Jesus has known this since John chapter 6, about 12 months earlier. So he's carried this, treated Judas courteously, but no more courteously than this particular moment. You see, in, in, uh, in Psalm 41 and verse 8, we, we read uh, a verse that says, the heel of the one, verse 9, I'm sorry, it talks about the heel of, of the person that sat with him, that ate bread, that he loved, will rise up against him. Now, that was a thing, that was a saying that says, basically, you're going to be betrayed. The very heel that was about to rise up and crush him, he actually washed. If he washed the feet of Judas before Judas went out and got more dust on them on the way to his betrayal, how much more? Does Jesus want to extend a foot washing to you and I? If you're around that table, knowing you, knowing the times that you've intentionally rebelled against the voice of God. This is not a condemnation session. It actually ends well. The times that you've been unfaithful, the times that you've cheated, the times that untruths have come out of your mouth, at times flowed out. At times you've been down on yourself. At times you've even despaired of the very life that God gave you. And you're at that table. And he takes you, your shoes off. Knowing all of that. Knowing the strivings that go on in our hearts. And he, he bends down. And he brings your foot up onto the towel. And he washes your feet in a beautiful cleansing way. It was so radical, Peter couldn't handle it. He says, Jesus, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. He says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, if you don't let me serve you, you'll have no part of me. He says, don't just wash my feet. Just, just throw the water all over me, Jesus. He says, you don't need that, Pete. You've already been purified overall. It's, it, this is a beautiful picture of you and I, that Jesus once and for all died for our sins. He cleanses us. But the opportunity exists as we walk through the dusty roads of life that we do pick up some dust. 
when we do, we say, Jesus, I'm sorry. God, would you forgive me? We don't get fixated on our sin. We get fixated on his grace, but we acknowledge it and we move on. That's the grace of God right there. It shall not be so among you. Just as Jesus did, he says, I want you also to do. Come with me quick to to Philippians chapter 2. Let's unpack this for some application to you and I. We're going to do that by simply looking at what, what Paul says to the Philippians about Jesus himself as we get into well, what are the implications of that? He came to, be, to serve and not to be served. He washed his disciples' feet when he was their teacher and master. He, he, was, he was countercultural. It went against everything. So there's an opportunity for an incredible contrast here. God's interested in two things in this whole deal. Your influence and your joy. Your influence and your joy. You see, when we get, when we get self-focused, it's like, <clears throat> how many of you have ever had a, uh, like a, a root go bad in a tooth? I thought I'd encourage you this morning. Or, or just a really a bad toothache that just is like, you know, you, you can't think about anything else. It could be your birthday. You could have a stack of presents in front of you. Friends would say, come out to dinner. And all you can hear is, wah, wah, wah. you've got to go to the dentist. Pride is like a toothache. It actually causes us to be self-focused and self-consumed. Here's here's, here's what Paul says in in Philippians 2 verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, see those two things together, humility and bondservant, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Let me give you four things that I think that very practically that we can engage in. Number one, think like Jesus. This is not some foo-foo thought of how do I do this? This starts with your thinking. uh, If Paul wrote it, it's got to be possible. You say, think like Jesus. Man, I I just struggle to keep my head on straight. Paul would not have written it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, "Let listen to me, let this mind be in you, which think like Jesus. Actually, it starts in our thinking. Paul in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Romans chapter 1 verse 28, It says, even so, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to those things which are not fitting. Romans 1, uh, right toward the end there, it it looks like a a chapter about morality. It's not just about morality. The foundation of morality is mentality and and our way way of thinking. Our way of thinking doesn't get changed by us unthinking the things that we think. If you say, man, I've got to stop thinking about that lust. I've got to stop getting that image. Stop getting that image. Stop. You're actually reinforcing the very image. 
<laughs> if I said to you right now, I want you to think about, close your eyes and think about a pink elephant with a yellow parasol umbrella walking down Broadway through Times Square. You'd probably think, well, that's not unusual. <laughs> but if you get that in your head, and then I said, stop thinking about the, t- the pink elephant. Stop thinking about the t- pink elephant. It reinforces that. If I said, hey, there's a blue spotted giraffe that is actually 30 foot tall, that's actually carrying a, a, uh, a, a, a Versace handbag. You would easily be able to switch from the elephant to the giraffe. And so if you want to think like Jesus, don't unthink the things that are bothering you or the things that are self-focused. Think on Him. As you, the Bible says, you behold, as you behold Him, you will be like Him. Don't try and unthink, but, but set your gaze on the things of God. It says there in Romans 1, it says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, the impact of that was that He gave them over. Number two, oh, we lo- I love this one. Uh, you're going to amen this like crazy. Die to yourself. Come on, come on. Oh, fantastic. We love it. We hate it. We have this idea that I've got to look out for number one. That we can kind of trust God, but I better make sure that I've got everything on a solid foundation. And I believe that wisdom, the Bible says, the life of the wise winds upward. So I believe that wise decisions will actually elevate your life. <clears throat> but, but, but God says, Jesus says in His Word, that, that we are to die to ourselves. And as we trust Him, not, not, not die, and again, not grovel, but just actually die to our own selfish ambitions and say, God, you are the author of the blueprint of my life. No one knows my journey, my future and my destiny and how to get there than you, better than you. In Matthew chapter 10, 39, it says, he who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not just talking about martyrdom there. It's talking about laying down. That, that idea, I've got to win, I've got to be right, I've got to, I've, I've got to, I've got to. That's, that's the root. That pride thing is the root. I listened yesterday to a secular, um, well, I don't know, actually, made a judge, but she doesn't talk about her faith. Um, what was her, uh, Breen, the, 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 the TED talk was the power of vulnerability. One of the, one of the, the most prolific uh, TED talks, I think nearly 30 million views. Powerful. Talks about, she's a sociologist, psychologist, how messed up we actually get when we, when we weave this web of trying to control everything. And God has got it in His Word. He says, if you will humble your heart before me, if you'll get unknotted in your soul and you'll sit quietly before me and hear my whispers of affirmation and encouragement, it's amazing what that will do. When you, when you don't care what other people think, it's a, an incredible release on the inside. I've got to be honest, and you may not get this when you first meet me. My personality would indicate that I'm an outgoing person, and I am. I love a crowd. I replenish by having a party. In fact, any one of you can have a party anytime you like, as long as I'm invited, right? I used to say that to my wife, who replenishes as an introvert by being by, by herself. After Sunday, four services or whatever, I'd invite a half a dozen people over. I'd say half a dozen, end up be a dozen and a half over for pizza. And so, oh, this is awesome. My wife here, praise the Lord, darling. <laughs> 
But when I went into a new room, I would actually feel intimidated. And, and it's like, oh, because I was being self-conscious. I was actually thinking about what they would think of me. One day as I walked into a new room, the Holy Spirit says, oi. He says it to me sometimes, oi. You talking to me? We weren't talking. I didn't hear his voice. But you know what I'm saying? It was very real. It was, it was like, stop me. He said, as you go into this room, why don't you stop talking, thinking about yourself? And why don't you think about whom it is in that room that I want you to bless? In a moment of revelation, everything changed. I've hardly walked into a room since and been in any way intimidated because it's not about me. Everyone say, die to yourself. Yeah, that was pretty pathetic. Die to yourself. It's dying to our, in, in order to trust God. Number three, live for others. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. These times, the contrast is absolutely amazing that, that we get the opportunity. I mean, Paul said it to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but you know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. See if you don't, see if you don't resonate with this of the world we live in. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of everything that is good. But it shall not be so among you. We've got a pattern. Jesus said three times, I've shown you what to do. I'm your teacher and master. I've washed your feet. I've shown you an example. Go and do likewise. And at the end of that says, and you will be blessed. And you will be blessed. Number one is what? Number one? Come on, help me now. Number one is? Number two? Number three? Live for others. Number four, finally, feel the joy. Feel the joy. You see, in in James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord, he'll lift you up. Now, I'm not talking about levitating there. He's not going to lift you up. He'll lift your spirit up. You'll feel the joy. As you humble your heart, you'll feel the joy. As you humble your life, you'll feel the joy. As you think like Jesus, you'll feel the joy. As you die to yourself, you'll feel the joy. As you live for others, you'll feel the joy. Luke 14, verse 18, it says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Self-focus is like a toothache. Our eyes get blocked out from anything that's going around us. We've got a God in heaven that is absolutely crazy about us. You may have come in here today, and, uh, and, and I know the word is countercultural for the for the world in which we live, particularly this particular city. But I just came here to remind you, there's a God in heaven that absolutely cares about you, that's got your future sorted out. Could you give me a G? I'd like to sing this part. Is that okay? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> You're like, what? Really? Really? Awkward. Can you sing? What? Jesus Christ loves Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. 
For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.